Welcome to the Animation Podcast, an official podcast of Filmbook. The Animation Podcast is a weekly animation news podcast that reports on the latest animation movie and TV show news. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, Radio World. This is Ephraim Bernie speaking very quietly this time. Uh, Ephraim Bernie, uh, your regular host, was in, decided to invest in a new microphone setup for the future of the animation podcast, hoping that he could give you guys a little gift in that his, <laughs> his uh, show would sound a little better. Unfortunately, he has just gotten it today and has deadlines due and does not want to uh, invest the time in learning how to use it just yet so the levels are very high and the voice is very low <laughs> um, but that is what we're dealing with today and what else we're dealing with today well I'll tell you it is the animation podcast hello and welcome everybody a weekly podcast about all things animation brought to you by Filmbook. my name is Ephraim Bernie if you were tuning into the animation podcast for the first time what I do on this show is discuss the current week's animation news you can find more the Animation Podcast episodes on Filmbook. That's right, it's film-book.com by using the search term The Animation Podcast. If you are listening to this podcast on iTunes or another podcasting service, please consider rating and reviewing the episode. And if you are listening on YouTube, please like our video, subscribe, and leave a comment saying how much you like my new my new voice. It's not going to be like this forever, I promise. Um, and consider becoming one of our patrons on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash, you guessed it, filmbook. Your support helps us create even more engaging content. In top news, animators and writers alike who are currently experiencing that post-New Year's creative rut will be excited to hear about the thrilling world of public domain intellectual property. That's right! With the dawning of the New Year, all works of fiction first published 95 years ago enter into the playing space of free use, allowing creative types of all sorts access to characters and ideas from all sorts of classic iconography. Last year, we saw F. Scott Fitzgerald's pillar of high school English class, The Great Gatsby, open up to the world, and hey, look at that, shortly after we received news of the development of William Joyce's animation adaption. This year, we've got some even more exciting news for all you fan fiction crafters out there looking to go legit, because the works of Winnie the Pooh and Bambi, by writers A.A. A. Milne and Felix Stalton, respectively, are now readily available to you. Both original pieces were published in 1926, over 95 years ago, so you are free to use the, uh, you can use Pooh, Piglet, or Christopher Robin in whatever adaption you please. Maybe you do a crossover, and Bambi hangs out at the 100 Acre Woods. That's up to you. You can do that now. Um, here's a couple of tricky things to keep in mind. One, while the characters themselves are open to you, the versions of them that you likely know them by, that being the Disney adaptions, are not yet older than 95, and therefore still within the Mouse House's clutches. Uh, so your versions cannot be too similar to that of the Disney versions. The other little trap they've set up for you Winnie the Pooh fans out there is in the character Tigger. While all the other Christopher Robin pals were first introduced in the 1926 novel, fans of the bear know that his bouncy, extroverted tiger pal was a late addition. His first scene uh, was in the 1928 sequel novel. Therefore, at least for the next two years, you can use every character except for Tigger, which 
is arguably one of the most important characters, so that's kind of a bummer there. <laughs> um, in other news that is also a little melancholy in nature, but also entirely predictable, we have the Nielsen reports for the numbers of the viewers that, for each of our favorite channels, are averaging from last year on traditional cable television, and as you might imagine, it's looking fairly grim. Um, from Disney to Nickelodeon to Cartoon Network, all animated-centric um, channels are bleeding out viewers left and right. This is not unlike every other channel, as the entire world of standardized TV is losing a war with streaming companies. So far, the biggest channels, like CBS, NBC, and ABC, are holding their own well enough. But Adult, Adult Swim went down in viewership 25%. Cartoon Network 26%, Nickelodeon 32%, and Disney Channel lost a whopping 35%. It's not so much of a bad sign for the shows that we love on these channels to keep in mind, you know, keep in mind with that. All those networks have already made transitions to streaming platforms, partnering up with platforms like um, Paramount Plus or HBO, um, HBO Max, or if you're Disney, you just create your own. Um, but it definitely feels like the end of the, the cable television era and how we used to watch our shows in just a few it's just a few nails on the coffin before it's six feet under so let's get an f in the comments section for dvr and tivo users huh <laughs> and since we're already talking about our favorite shows why don't we move on to see what is coming our way in 2022 um last week i spoke on movies both the mysterious indies and the big blockbuster hits that are scheduled to bombard us in the coming year in an effort to balance things out, I'm going to take a little bit of time in the heavy hitters section of Netflix, Disney, and streaming news to talk about the TV shows that are making their way towards your phones and laptops this coming month. I'm not going to do the whole year. That's just, that would be way too much. <laughs> so, first one is already on your Netflix accounts as we speak. So that would be Action Pack, the newest kid show about a team of superpowered kids saving the day and learning lessons along the way. While the concept itself isn't exactly a novel one, the kids themselves have some powers that seem interesting enough to delineate them from the standard sort of superheroes you get. Instead, um, Action Pack has um, kids morphing their bodies with plasma or transforming into wild animals. There's a kid who shoots lightning. That seems like something I would have wanted to be when I was a kid. Um, the series has a, the sort of, kind of, Paw Patrol aesthetic to its CGI, which will no doubt keep the kiddos entertained, and the show is the sort of, it's the brainchild of, uh, Shea, uh, Shea Fontana and William Harper. Harper has fewer credits to his name, mostly working as a writer and producer on Grey's Anatomy, so it's a little unclear what he might give us. Um, but Fontana is another story. Having worked in children's animation for the last 15 years, being involved with every single DC Superhero Girls episode or short or property, and then later creating the Polly Pocket reboot series. So if you know a kid who likes superheroes like I'm betting that you do, this show could be their next big watch. The other two shows that came out this week are ones that I've already spoken about at length, that being Apple TV Plus's El Defo and Adult Swim's Smiling Friends. El Defo came out on January 7th this past week, and Smiling Friends premieres tonight, January 9th. Um, El Defo, uh, the three-part miniseries about the deaf rabbit who gains powers with the loss of her hearing, will be directed by Gilly Fogg from the Bug Diaries and Bob's Builder, uh, Bob the Builder fame and written by Apple alum Will McRobb, who I've spoken about before. He wrote the platform's Harriet the Spy uh, revision and adaption uh, later this last year. 
Smiling Friends, if you haven't heard me gush enough about already, is about two dudes voiced by Zach Hadel and Michael Cusack who work for a company whose sole job is to cheer people up. Um, Hadel and Cusack are two animators born out of wildly successful YouTube channels and are responsible for some of the funniest and most imaginative animation in the last decade. Seriously, guys, so much of what the current internet and animation zeitgeist is right now was predated by these two guys. Um, they had their pilot premiere on Adult Swim in 2020, and due to popular demand, an entire series was in order, and I will be watching this first night, and I urge you all to do the same. Over on Peacock, a streaming platform that I rarely get to talk about, the next, uh, the new show Supernatural Academy, based on the book series of the same name, will make its premiere on January 20th. Following very closely to the Harry Potter blueprint, uh, the series follows a teenager named Misha who discovers she has magical powers and is then sent to a secret prestigious academy where teenagers like her can learn to hone their abilities. I wasn't joking about the Harry Potter thing. Um, <laughs> the series will be directed by Steve Ball, which makes sense because Ball has spent a lot of his career in animation fine-tuning stories about teenagers in a fantasy kind of elemental high school setting. You likely know him from his other bigger stories um, and projects like Stormhawks, um, if you remember that show, like 2007, 2008. Uh, the book series was written by Jamin Eve, though it's unclear how much involvement Eve will have with this adaption. And the last three shows that I want to talk about today are uh, all coming out on January 28th, as it turns out. Those being Angry Birds Summer Madness and The Orbital Children, both on Netflix, and then Amazon Prime's The Legend of Vox Machina. Angry Birds is going to be one of those, it's going to be more of those characters that you are likely familiar with from the game or the movies or the other properties. Look, I'd love to give you some information on who's in it and making it, but I cannot find a shred of reporting done on this show. It's crazy. Like, it's called, I can't find anything. It's called Summer Madness, but it's coming out in January. So the whole thing could be a joke on me for all I know. Um... The Orbital Children um, is a Netflix original anime movie from the mind of Mitsuo Iso, or Iso, Mitsuo Iso, um, about a group of spacefaring kids and teens struggling to make it back to Earth after a series of cat catastrophes renders their space station inhospitable. This is Iso's second outing in the writer and director chair. The only other occasion was when he created his series uh, Deno, Deno Coil in 2007. When it, came at, when it comes to American streaming companies creating their own anime, I usually say there's a lot riding on the results, but Netflix was the first to get their foot in the game with anime and has, at this point, established itself as a major player in the market. So, Iso has a long career of work in the animation department of anime titles, but when it comes to his own creations, he's the question mark this time, and he's the question mark with Orbital Children. Um, lastly, lastly, The Legend of Vox Machina on Amazon. Many of you probably know about the series as it is. The, um, it's the first official fully animated adaption of the unbelievably popular Dungeons & Dragons podcast, Critical Role. Um, it's hard to even report on something like this, as it's genuinely a mystery as how they're going to adapt a story so built on improv and cast dynamics into a scripted program. But the entire, the entire creative team of voice actors um, will be reprising their roles, and they're serving as executive producers, so I say this is probably looking very promising. I imagine it will be very faithful to the characters, the stories that we all love. And, look, I, I don't know the show very much, but I know a lot of people that are very excited about it. So I'd say go and check it out if you're a fan. 
I think this is just about as good a time as any to move on over to um, anime news. Over in the world of big eyes and senpais, the first week of 2022 has proven to be an interesting one for anime fans. Um, because a new player has decided to join the battle royale of American companies taking a grab at anime profits. This past week, we saw AMC uh, Networks purchase Sentai Filmworks. You likely recognize both of those companies, AMC being the company behind cable television juggernauts, Mag Mad Men, The Walking Dead, and Breaking Bad, and Sentai with titles like Grave of Fireflies, uh, Haikyuu, and Parasite the Maxim. AMC has a reputation as one of the best channels on television, but in recent years, they've been put to the test a bit. Not only because of the dwindling numbers when it comes to traditional television, as we discussed earlier, but with its most critically revered shows, Mad Men and Breaking Bad, long since having concluded, and The Walking Dead kind of just shuffling along, barely recognizable as the show it once was, over 10 years, it's been like 12 years of this show. Um, the network has had trouble carving a niche for itself with modern-day audiences. AMC is hoping that by 2025, it can sustain an average subscriber count somewhere between 20 to 25 million users spread across the various streaming platforms it has acquired, the biggest ones being Acorn TV, the Sundance Now app, and uh, likely their biggest moneymaker, Shudder. I actually don't know about it. I feel like Shudder's the biggest one, but I, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Um... With the purchase of Sentai, AMC will get a piece of all those anime titles spread across bigger platforms like Hulu and Crunchyroll, as well as maintain control of Sentai's own streaming service, High Dive. I would wager this is a merger is that this merger is not going to have much of an impact on the anime you love from Sentai, as it seems AMC is mostly just trying to get their foot in the door when it comes to anime revenue, and many of Sentai's founders are staying on in senior positions. It will be interesting, though, to see what happens when all the anime production companies are gobbled up by these bigger ones, and there's no more left to save struggling television channels. <laughs> um, in other news, we have some updates for fans of shows with names that make me laugh. Um, <laughs> this week, we got a look at a new English subbed trailer for the fourth season of Is It Wrong to Try and Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon? For those who don't know, but could probably guess, it is a, the anime series based on the light novel series by the same name, by Fujino Omori and Suzuhito Hito Yasuda. Uh, despite having such a goofy name, this fourth season seems to be promising us a lot of action-adventure-type themes and stories, with an overarching narrative of the fantasy-inspired team of travelers training and getting stronger as they journey through a dangerous and magical labyrinth. We don't know the exact date yet that it's going to be released, but the new season is slated for 2022, so yeah, that means it could pretty much happen whenever at this point. <laughs> um, and lastly, we got confirmation today that the much-beloved anime series, I've Been Killing Slimes for 300 Years and Maxed Out My Level, will be getting a second season. <laughs> the story of a lazy, immortal witch who accidentally level-capped her character in a video game by spending 300 years casually killing the easiest minions um, had many anime fans endeared, and while we, again, cannot give you a release date just yet, it's good to know that if you liked the show, you can expect some more. Um, moving on over to, um, if you want some more of this show, you can move on over to the Animation Around the World category, where we don't have too much, but there is something pretty big going on in Southeast Asia. 
Um, it doesn't get much bigger than that of Cartoon Network's exciting Redraw Your World campaign. This, uh, this past Saturday, January 8th, the Cartoon Network teamed up with Crayola NTUC and the Singapore Shinghai uh, Parade to bring kids in Taiwan, Korea, Hong Kong, and just the general Southeast Asia area a whole new rebranded experience. The channel now boasts a spectrum of, of rainbow colors and celebrated, celebratory music um, coinciding with the premiere of its new shows, um, its new show, uh, We Baby Bears, um, the spinoff series of We Bear Bears, which was one of the channel's most beloved shows in Southeast Asian viewership. Um, on top of that, it's kind of, if you remember how Cartoon Network used to, at Christmas time, rebrand the whole channel and... Um, they would do kind of characters interacting with one another and seeing each other in the subway. And I remember how we used to think that was so cool. It seems kind of like they're doing that again with a whole new kind of poppy, colorful experience with these whole new roster of 2022 characters, as it seems. Um, on top of the news about the new series, Cartoon, uh, Cartoon Nito, the channel's new programming block specifically aimed at preschoolers, will also become available in the Southeast Asian region. But that's not all there is to it, because the Cartoon Network characters won't just be boasting new looks on Asian, on Asian TVs and laptops. They're making the jump from screen to reality. The Redraw Your World campaign has set up several, it seems like plenty, of in-person events all across malls throughout Singapore, Malaysia, and the Philippines, where participants can take pictures with specialized um, Instagram filters <laughs> with Cartoon Network characters in them. And if there are any listeners, here's the last thing, right? Because that's already pretty cool. But if there are listeners out there with plans to attend the 2022 Shingei Parade, I'd be surprised if there were, but if, <laughs> if you are out there, um, you can expect Cartoon Network's biggest characters to also make an appearance in the form of mascots and uh, floats and, and, and all sorts of things. It's going to be really cool. I, I joke, but this all really does sound pretty cool. I would have killed as a kid to go take pictures with Ed, Ed, and Eddie or Blue from Foster's Home. But that's about all I have for you when it comes to uh, foreign and abroad animation. <laughs> it's not looking much better in the world of home video and digital HD releases. But in the world of discs and miscellaneous, the biggest piece of news I have for you is the announcement that we will be getting Disney's smash hit Encanto on Blu-ray and DVD and digital HD release um, and download and whatnot and all those things on Tuesday, February 8th. Just in time for... <laughs> for valentine's day um if you have any fan you know if you've got a special someone who um really wants to watch in kanto and get director's commentary while you <laughs> netflix and chill go ahead that'll be the one that that'll be the gift for you but i know why you're all here i know why you're you're listening to my very my very low <laughs> my very low but still nasally voice and that is because you want to you want a review of quite possibly the most talked about film in all of 20 of 2021 uh, <laughs> that is because they kept it towards the very end just because they knew how much you wanted to watch it that's right i'm talking about seal team baby seal team the review by you from bernie <laughs> oh boy if you can't already tell, it's been a slow week. Um, okay, here's some general information about SEAL Team. SEAL Team was directed by Greg Cameron, or Greg Cameron. He spells his name with an I, um, so I'm saying Greg. Uh, Greg Cameron, um, you know him from he was a he was the director of the, the series Super Strikers. 
Um, and he was the head writer of Moosebox, if you know either of those. Um, it was co-directed by Kane Crudis. Um, he's worked in the animation department on movies like Roomba and The Adventures of Zambazia. Um, not a lot of directing credits under his name, so that's probably why he's co-directing with Grieg. Um, it was written by Grieg Cameron, again, and there's the story credits that are, there's story credits that go to Brian and Jason Cleveland. Uh, the two of them have worked together on Ainbow, The Spirit of the Amazon, and producers on, uh, the Ratchet and Clank movie. Um, there's also a story credit for Wayne Thornley, who also worked on The Adventures of Zambazia with Crudus. So it looks kind of like a tight-knit community of guys here that know, that have worked together. And they, they both, they all work for, um, I imagine they're all working for production companies like Triggerfish and the very proper-sounding Cinema Management Group. <laughs> um, since those are, those, both of those companies have produced practically everything that I've just listed in these credits here. I'm going to talk about Triggerfish and uh, Cinema Management Group a little more in just a bit, but let's let's get into the movie. Okay, I had never heard of SEAL Team. I'd never seen any articles talking about SEAL Team. Hell, I'm still kind of convinced that this isn't a real movie, having just watched it. Um, it's got a cast full of some of the most sought-after voices in animation. It just came out this week on Netflix with the biggest streaming service in the world. Um, it literally has SEAL playing a SEAL in it. L let me just tell you a little bit about this voice cast, right? You have Jesse T. Usher from The Boys. Um, you have J.K. Simmons, Patrick Warburton, Kristen Schaal, and you have Seal. You have Seal literally playing a Seal. <laughs> um, and I had to go to three different websites just to find somebody acknowledging this movie's existence. It's from South African-based animation studio Triggerfish, um, which is arguably the biggest animation company on the whole continent. Um, SEAL Team will likely be Triggerfish's first introduction to many American audiences. So, what is this movie, right? As I always do, I'll give you a brief rundown of the story. Um, Quinn and Benji are two SEALs that live on an island uh, of other SEALs being terrorized by sharks. As it's too dangerous to get into the water to fish, all the SEALs are forced to either starve or eat dusty barnacles off of rocks. Quinn, the more adventurous of the two of the two of them, who is voiced by Jesse T. Usher, you know him from The Boys, if you watch that on Amazon Prime, it's, um, is determined to change things for his SEAL brethren. But when his daring go get him nature loses his friend, Benji, um, which is very, very tragic, but don't, it, it happens in the first, like, 15 minutes, so I'm not spoiling anything for you. Um, Quinn desperately seeks out the mentorship of his older, of an older disgraced Navy SEAL, not, like, a Navy SEAL, but literally a SEAL who worked for the Navy, uh, Claggart, voiced by J.K. Simmons. Um, together they assemble a team of spec op SEALs and fight back against the evil sharks. You definitely don't get the whole picture, though, from just the description, because tonally, this movie is wacky, right? Um, there are plenty of montages and homages to, like, hyper-stylized military movies of the 80s, like Top Gun and especially G.I. Joe, and there's a lot of fight scenes and gear-up sequences are done in, like, that, uh, that paneled-off comic book-esque framing. So you take all that, right, and you combine it, and I'm not making this up, you combine it with some of the most, like, basic 2000s meme culture. <laughs> it's not as overwhelming as maybe some of the 80s references are, but they, like, they go out there with it. They, they make Rick Astley jokes. There's a Sharknado reference. There's literally a moment where you see the, the goddamn, like, 
why you know meme for a split second. You know what I'm talking about? Like the meme faces from way back when? They have one of those guys in the movie. Like it wasn't even animated in. It looks like they just took a PNG and put it on one of the seals for a split second. I know it might sound like a I'm being hypocritical or that I'm insane, um, but I might, I might, I'll, I'll defend the hypocritical part because I talked a lot about Mitchell's versus the machines and I loved Mitchell's versus the machines. I really liked that movie. I praised it a lot on this series. Um, and that pulls similar moves to internet culture and homage is there, but there it was part of the world and the tone and look i don't mind old memes if you want to make a movie about that culture you go ahead but you can't use older memes as a replacement for jokes in a movie about seals learning how to be part of the military <laughs> you can't use newer memes for replace just don't use memes in, in your movie unless it's purposeful right Outside of your tonal issues, I'm uh, moving on, um, the film is v a very average waltz through kids' movie story beats. Um, the main character is pretty painfully run-of-the-mill. In fact, it's kind of hard to tell him apart from his best friend in the first 15 minutes of the movie because they look practically identical. He also doesn't really learn anything or change throughout the movie, and you can have a static protagonist, that's fine, but then the other characters have to change around them, and they don't really do that either. Like, J.K. Simmons' Claggart learns to forgive himself, I think, but it's not even really because of anything that the other characters do in the story. That's actually a problem in this film. A lot of the more important story moments are exchanged for laughs and jokes and then moved on from really quickly. You know, you do some you do sometimes see that in kids movies, but it's not an excuse. If you want to, an audience to connect with or care about a character, you need to give them the opportunity to you need to give them the opportunity to in moments that they can take in, you know? Um, voice acting wise though, everything is great. J.K. Simmons, Kristen Schaal, Patrick Warburton are like some of the most sought-after um, voice talents in the game right now. And all of them do their best to breathe life into characters that don't really have too much going on with them. A standout for me is Warburton. He plays a, a, seer call, a seal called Geraldo. Uh, <laughs> Geraldo. Um, you know exactly what his character is going to be, like, and what's going to happen from him to him from, like, the get-go. He's this kind of self-aggrandizing braggart who turns out to be a coward later on. But Warburton works well with those kinds of characters. And to the movie's credit, I will give the movie this. Geraldo is the one character who goes a little further past a caricature and actually redeems himself by being brave later on. Like, if the movie had been about him, I probably would have rated it higher, but it wasn't. Um, strange, I know. Animation-wise, Triggerfish is, has mostly pleasant-looking character designs that step out of the very round, big-eyed character, uh, characters that we see in from the likes of Disney and Pixar and other animation contemporaries. The characters have kind of a square-like features, and I get that's partially them being seals, but they really went there with it. Um, they're still soft, since it's for kids, but the movie definitely has its own style because of it, which I appreciated. That being said, the animation itself, I found a little jerky. It's it's rare for me to have that kind of complaint like that in this day and age, but it felt like the frame rate was off or something like that. The cast can seem like they're just the slightest bit twitchy when they move. I thought maybe it could have been my laptop, but I switched to my phone, and yep, it's the, it's the movie. Um, 
if they're going to if they're going for some kind of stop motion CGI hybrid like they had with Ron's Gone Wrong or other other movies like that, they could have pulled something like this off. But right now, it just looks like the movie was made quickly and on the cheap, which I don't like to say, but it's true. Um, which is a shame, right? Because there are some genuinely impressive sequences. Pretty much any time one of the seals is being chased by a shark, uh, they'll switch into longer takes where the sharks, we have like the shark's POV, and we chase after the seal, and watching the frantic twists and turns really gets you in the mood for a chase, you know? There's practically, um... You know, there's a particularly good chase towards the very beginning where the big bad, like the evil head boss shark, is chasing down Quinn, the main seal. And you can see that, like, you can see the shark's silhouette eclipsing and keeping pace with Quinn as he pursues each, as they pursue each other, right? And the way they frame it, it looks as though Quinn is stuck inside the stomach of the shark's shadow. That's really clever storyboarding through action. I love when, like, um, uh, it's something that really animation does particularly well. It's one of the things I love about it. And that's, when you see that, you get a little gem from a, a movie like this that kind of redeems it in a way. Um, there's also a plus, a big, a, a big plus for me is that they have singer-songwriter Seal playing and singing as an actual Seal. Like, I like that. I like that they did that. You can tell that he's having fun with it, right? <laughs> It's almost enough for me to give the movie an extra point, but the movie also makes a very on-the-nose baby shark reference, and so it kind of levels out for me. I'm not going to give it an extra point because of that. I'm going to give SEAL Team a uh, 2 out of 5. It's completely harmless, but it really does feel way too long for what it has to offer. That's all i got to say about that. Um, I got a little more time. Let me talk about this. I haven't written much for this show, but I'm going to give you a recommendation for the week. Um... Ephraim's pick of the week, if you will, right? Um, I don't know where... Cause I'm, this is an older show. Like, I'm late to this. Um, but I just discovered Summer Camp Island on HBO Max. Maybe it's just because they're like... They've hidden it away on... It's a Cartoon Network show. And they've hidden it away on HBO. I, my, I, I can't tell if it's an exclusive or not. I, I don't think it is, but it might be. Um, and it's so good. It's so good. It's like... It's created by Julia Pott, um, who, this is really like her first kind of foray into things. She's done other stuff before. Um, you also know her, like if you watched World of Tomorrow, she's the voice of, of Emily in it, like the girl who's called, traveling through the time. I think that's really cool. Um, but yeah, now this is kind of Julia Pott's baby brainchild. It stars Julia Pott and uh, Una Lawrence. Um, there's also, they've, they've cycled through a couple of different voices. Julia Pott is like the bad guy in it. And Una Lawrence is one of the main characters. There's another boy who's the main character, but they've cycled through a couple of him. I think he's, I think the actors have aged out of it. But there's so many great voice actors in this show. And it's just so much fun. I'll tell you a little about it. It's about um, Oscar and Hedgehog. Oscar is a kind of an anthropomorphic elephant. Hedgehog is an uh, anthropomorphic hedgehog. She doesn't really look like a hedgehog, but there's just that's what they are. And they go to this summer camp that's on an island. And once the parents leave them there, there's kind of a facade drops away. And it's this kind of magical paradise where anything and everything can happen. And they, and they really explore, like the world has its own vernacular. And kind of, I don't know how else to phrase it, but it's just got its own language and its own kind of tone. 
And it's the, it's the same way, when remember when Adventure Time first came out, when you were watching that? And Julia Pott had worked on Adventure Time. She would written some stuff, so it makes sense that they would kind of connect like that. But you remember when Adventure Time first came out, and you were seeing stuff that felt so bizarre and strange, and it didn't really need to make sense. It just felt like a kid's imagination on a screen. That's what Summer Camp Island felt like for me. It's a kid's show. I feel like I don't recommend a lot of kid's shows on this I'm, because I'm a snob. Um, so I wanted, to, I wanted to... I kind of fell into it looking for something like that to recommend this time around. And I can't... I, I really like watching it. The episodes are show, so short. Um, you can just pop one on and go to, and zone out while you're watching it. It's so chill. The characters have just... There's never really high stakes, except I know later on in the seasons it kind of... I'm still on season one, maybe like season two now at this point. Um, as you get into it, there's there's a lore that builds up, which I really like, but it is. It's just kids at a summer camp that has anything that they want available to them. They have... Um, they go... There's, a, there's an episode where there's they find this ghost and they're trying to find who it... That one I really liked in particular, actually, because it sets up something later on. Um, but they're just trying to find this ghost's, like, family, and they just go to different places in the island to kind of remind him of what he might have been when he was alive, and it's just hanging out. It feels like so much fun. It doesn't need to be, like, a bigger thing than it is, because it's so short, and the characters are really fun, and it's, it doesn't feel, like, too cutesy or, or, like, played down for kids, because some of the jokes really kind of have that real zing to them and and kind of come from a place of character that really only hits when you're older so i don't know man like i really like it i can't recommend it enough if you want just like a chill show if you want to just hang out with um i don't know if you like this is the same idea but yeah if you liked watching adventure time when you were younger, or even now, and that's like your comfort show, I think you would really like Summer Camp Island. It's the same kind of vibe, same kind of, yeah, casual, but also, it's crazy, right? It's crazy casual. So if you have an HBO Max account, I highly recommend that you check it out, right? That's That'll be my recommendation for the week. And that will be where I also end the episode. I promise next week I will have this, <laughs> the mic situation figured out so I don't sound like I have laryngitis. I, I promise you I'm healthy, I'm fine. <laughs> um, it's just that I'm trying to speak lower so that the levels work okay. Um, but thank you for listening to this episode of the Animation Podcast. Be sure to like this episode and subscribe. You can find more of my work on Filmbook. That's film-book.com. Just search for Ephraim Bernie or the Animation Podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Frumblers or on Instagram at Ephraim underscore Burning. Uh, if you would like to contact, if you would like to contact us, you can email us at podcast at film-book.com um, with the Animation Podcast in the subject line. Tune in next. Uh, tune in next week. I'm all over the place right now. <laughs> tune in next week for the latest episode of the Animation Podcast and all things animation. Thank you for listening. As always, it touches my heart every time that you do. I will see you then. Take it away, uh, big fancy voice man. Thanks for listening to the Animation Podcast. Find more of the Animation Podcast on Filmbook on your favorite podcast service and on YouTube.